Hi, welcome to the Jesus in LA podcast, where we get an inside look into the lives of Hollywood Christians. I'm your host, Callie Cheely, and today we're hearing from a conversation I had with author, screenwriter, and educator Craig Detweiler about celebrities. Craig is the Dean of the College of Arts and Media at Grand Canyon University. He's written and co-written over six books on media and culture, and he's even been honored as Variety Magazine's 2016 Mentor of the Year. He has so much expertise on this subject and a lot of great stories to tell, so I can't wait for you to hear from him. Here's Craig Detweiler. So um, I know a little bit about what you do, but just for the people who are listening, and so I get a little bit more detail, can you just explain to me kind of what you do and kind of what an average day at your job looks like? Sure. Um, well, so I'm Dean of the College of Arts and Media at Grand Canyon University. And we have almost 2000 students who are, you know, studying to be actors, designers, filmmakers, animators, musicians, uh, all different kinds of artists, dancers, uh, you know, things that I'm no good at, but that uh, I can at least encourage others to uh, shine in their calling. That's amazing. And how long have you been doing that? Um, almost one year. Um, although I've been a filmmaker, an author, and a, a teacher for, yeah, probably 20, 25 years. That's amazing. And how did you get into that? Uh, just a love, just sheer love of, uh, of, in most cases, film, but story. You know, I was an English major as an undergrad. I'm a Fuller Seminary grad and then also went to USC Film School. So I've just merged this passion for um, storytelling and faith in the arts for, yeah, a long time. So obviously you're a man of many hats. Do you consider any of them to be your main hat or do you like balancing <laughs> between all of them? Or? No, I do. I like to shift. I, I just think as a as a professor, I also want to be a practitioner. You know, it's, I'm a better uh, teacher if I'm also in the struggle of trying to figure out, you know, how to make my screenplay work and or how to get the, that documentary funded or how to what edits, you know, to to put in the cut. You know, when I've got too much footage and don't know how to cut it down, all those struggles that I might have in my own editing process are the same kind of things that students are going to go through. And so to bring a certain level of empathy of walking, um, not not standing on the stage, but walking literally right beside them through that creative process that I'm involved in myself, I think is very renewing. That's amazing. You've written a lot of books, I saw, and you've done quite a few film projects. What was your first book that you wrote? Uh, it was called A Matrix of Meaning. This was your first book? Yes, Finding wow. God in Pop Culture. Yeah. Okay. I read that one for my research and I really enjoyed it. I'd actually like to pick your brain on a lot of the things you had sure. to say. Yeah. Well, that kind of leads right into kind of what I wanted to ask you. So I guess we'll dive right in. Um, so the centerpiece of what I've been really learning about and studying in this past year really does revolve around celebrities. Um, and I know that you have some really interesting thoughts about celebrities and the significance of celebrity culture from your book. Um, but kind of before we get into that, would you say that you have worked with or interacted with a lot of celebrities over the course of your career? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, living and working in, in Hollywood, you know, from the very beginning, um, you know, as a USC film student, you know, they're bringing in guests like I remember Robert Zemeckis bring, coming and bringing Forrest Gump 
to us before the film premiered, you know? So it's like, no, what, you know, none of us even knew like, what is this thing? You know, what's Forrest Gump? I don't even know what that is, you know? And then you watch it and you're like, wow, that was pretty good. And then you like watch it, you know, make a billion dollars and win the Oscar. And you're just like, nicely done, uh, Robert Zemeckis, USC class of, you know, 1969 or whenever he graduated, 75. Um, but yeah, I mean, from the, even as a film student, I, I was working on a film uh, called The Flintstones. It was a live action version of The Flintstones. And I can remember, you know, there's like John Goodman and Rick Moranis, Rosie O'Donnell were all on the cast, but then Elizabeth Taylor was in the cast and she was like one of the original, like really, really big movie stars. And she just walks in the room and you're just like stunned by her presence and her beauty. I mean, she's got violet eyes. Her eyes are purple, uh-huh. you know, and this dark hair and, um, it was kind of a silly film and it's not really remembered as anything, but I just remember just the magic of kind of who she was. And, and um, same thing happened. I was in doing, I think a press junket for something. And um, you know, Morgan Freeman walks in and wow. as soon as he walks in, you know, he just commands such um, attention as you can see why, you know, it'd be like, oh, I can see why you've been cast as God in Bruce Almighty <laughs> and Evan Almighty. Like you just, carry it you know with your voice and you know he exuded and and of course a lot of that is projection right it's Mm -hmm. it's he literally is stepping into a role of saying i'm now morgan freeman movie star i am now morgan freeman voice of god and he's playing a role even as he's talking with you um Mm -hmm. but at the same time there's also a certain specialness that enables him to stand out in that room and in that crowd um, yeah. Wow, that must have been a really interesting experience to have with all those people. Yeah, well, and then over time, you know, living in California, you you start to realize that these people are your neighbors. <laughs> these people have kids, you know, these people want to go to, to you know, school and PTA and um, church and they want to be left alone, you know um to be able to do that uh i can remember um seeing reese witherspoon coming to our church on um i think it was probably easter sunday and of course she didn't want to be bothered and and there were all these paparazzi there who maybe had gotten wind that she was coming and they wanted pictures of her kids and i think she was maybe going through a painful divorce and it was beautiful to see our church actually rally around them and form like a protective circle on the lawn so her kids could actually go and get involved in the Easter egg hunt. They just needed just a circle of space to just like play and have fun without the paparazzi just like being right on top of them, taking their pictures. Wow, um, that's so crazy. You, so you kind of see those things and you see kind of the cost of celebrity, the loss of privacy, um, the invasive nature of the camera and the public. And yet you can also see God's people still rallying and trying to say, no, no, you're safe here. You're protected here. That's amazing. That must've been such a cool thing to be a part of. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was kind of, it was inspiring. Well, along similar lines, I actually wanted to ask you at a lot of the points in your book where you're talking about celebrity you talk about the valuable social and even theological, you mentioned, function that celebrities play. 
And I was wondering if you'd be willing to kind of expand on what functions they fulfill in our society today and how they might be of value in society and even on a theological level. Mm. Well, we've always, um, we're kind of an idol making people. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you go back to uh, Exodus and, you know, the, um, as the Hebrews are wandering in the desert and they get panicked, it's like, give us a golden calf, give us something to worship. You know, we've just always looked for um, calves and idols and golden things to um, either aspire to or just to be tangible. And so the intangible nature of God, I think, makes us try to say, well, what does what divinity look like? And, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about sports, whether it's that constant question of like, who's the greatest of all time? Is it Michael Jordan, LeBron James, you know, Del Curry or, or not Steph Curry, uh, you know, where you, you've elevated these players to kind of a godlike status, you know, um, greatest of all time, literally, right? The word goat. Well, it's interesting that goat uh, also involves, I think, sacrificial goats or sacrificial lambs. Mm. And so what often happens is we kind of build up these players to superhuman levels. And then we discover, oh, Michael Michael Jordan had like a gambling problem or Michael Jordan got divorced. And suddenly it's like, oh, Michael Jordan doesn't seem so perfect after all. And then maybe mm -hmm. the press gets involved and they start, you know, almost trying to destroy Michael Jordan. <laughs> Um, or at least tell that story. So this process of like building up and tearing down um, this constant need for scapegoats of someone to sort of take on our collective disappointment. Um, it's an old, old biblical story that we see play out time and time again in the celebrity space. And do you think that that disappointment is almost a reflection of our disappointment in ourselves yeah. that we fail and that we are flawed? Yeah, well, I think that it's like we aspire for immortality or perfection, and then we get upset if, say, our idols are less than perfect. You know, they miss mm -hmm. the shot. Um, they develop an addiction. Somebody like Lance Armstrong, who was the greatest bike racer, you know, won the you know, Tour de France all these times, and he's got all this pressure to live up to the greatest of all time. Now he's taken steroids, performance enhancing drugs. And now it's like, were you even the greatest then? Was it all fake? Was it all an act? And it's like this weird social pressure where we want them to be perfect. They work harder to be perfect. Then when we discover they aren't perfect, they're destroyed, just like overnight, one long weekend. And then, you know, as they try to rehabilitate their life, then they kind of have to go on Oprah and do like the redemption tour and try to say, I'm sorry. And yes, I'm not perfect. And aren't we all broken? And then we go, oh, they really are like us. You know, oh, let's forgive them. Let's give them another chance. Um, and we just see this cycle over and over. Um, especially, you know, in Hollywood, you see it all the time with somebody like Robert Downey Jr., who was like a young star and kind of cool and really edgy when he was a young guy. And then he develops addictions. He's playing all these characters with addictions. Then he has addictions. And um, he's like waking up in people's houses, you know, uh, drunk or whatever. And then he has to come back and say, gosh, I have a problem and I need rehabilitation. And then we're like, that's great. Yeah, let's give you another shot. And now he comes back as Iron Man, like someone with a new heart that's been put into his body and a new suit that makes him better and stronger than ever. And then we say, we love him more than ever before. 
So he picked a good comeback role. Oh, <laughs> I mean, they played right into it. Like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of the arrogant, cocky playboy who gets himself in trouble and gets himself he wants blown to turn up. over a new lead. Exactly. Yeah. Needs to start all over again and say, I was wrong. And now I'm a superhero. And that's the process. That's the celebrity process. That's crazy. And do you feel like sometimes after that redemption process, does a celebrity ever get elevated back up to that almost? divine supernatural level or is it like it can just go and go and go over and over again this cycle of kind of being elevated and then disappointing and kind of being put yeah, through the ringer it's a death and rebirth for sure over and over and not everybody uh gets that second act i mean i think that's part of the interesting thing it's like we all desire that second act or that chance for redemption but not everybody gets it right you look at mm. um mel gibson and it was sort of like well some of the things he said publicly and some of the things he did have made him to some degree unforgivable in the public eye. Mm. Um, and there's there's actually an amazing video um, from an awards show where Robert Downey Jr. essentially asks the audience to forgive Mel Gibson on his behalf and says, we've all been there. We've all made mistakes. Who among us? you know, could cast the first stone. And this man, had, you know, deserves a second chance. Um, they call it hugging the cactus. Um, like when you're sort of cast out and you are you have to pay, do a certain kind of penance for your public um, sins. And it was very interesting at that award show. I think it might've been, I don't know if it was the Golden Globes or sometime around that. It was Jodie Foster and Robert Downey Jr. supporting Mel Gibson. Seems like a very unlikely trio, but all of them had had like weird experiences where Jodie Foster as a child actor suddenly has like somebody trying to murder the president to reenact a taxi driver movie and the character that she played. So she's had this whole weird, like I'm kind of being stalked and I'm being dragged into the public. So they've all had this thing where they're like used as objects, you know, by other people. They're sort of made into something that they are and they're dehumanized that yeah. process so they understand that celebrity machinery and how it can kind of grind you up and so they stood in solidarity together as a result well i hope you got as much out of that as i did tune in next time to hear craig explain how iron man hacked the celebrity cycle and so much more until then you can email me with questions or comments at jesus and la podcast at gmail.com thanks for listening